and welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono. And today, Tiny Voice is talking about Tiny Voices Talk. I know, what a twist. And I'm so excited because I am joined today by none other than Ian Gilbert, who is the editor of the book Tiny Voices Talk. So welcome, Ian. Hi, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited you're here. It's just, uh, do you know what? What the the listeners don't know is that you and I have communicated so much over the last 18 months, but actually we very rarely talk, talk like this. No, no. There's been lots of emails going backwards and forwards. It's like, it's like having some sort of secret affair. Emails going backwards <laughs> and forwards at various times <laughs> of the day, revealing our, our, our inner securities. Or inner insecurities yeah. and concerns, and uh, uh, it's been great. It's great. I, often when I'm doing a book, there's lots of intense um, email conversations backwards and forwards, and then it suddenly the book goes off to print, and then that's it's sort of the, the end of the affair. It sort of just suddenly goes quiet, and people go, oh, "I miss, I miss our little emails, I miss our little chats." So it's good to reconnect with you. Oh, it's so lovely to reconnect. So for anyone that doesn't know who Ian Gilbert is, who is Ian Gilbert? Ooh, okay, well. <laughs> To this, uh, this you got the you know the family stuff the father and the all that uh, and the husband but and and professionally within independent thinking is a company I set up uh, nearly thirty years ago so under that guise I've um, I suppose I'm an entrepreneur it's my own business um, I'm a speaker internationally recognised or international education speaker um, I'm an innovator. Uh, because things like thunks uh, you know, came out of my head. So I think a lot of people know thunks these days. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the thing that I want to, that I would want on my headstone would be writer. Um, so the, being involved in either writing my own books or helping other people write their books through independent thinking press, uh, and I'll link with Crown House with our friends at Crown House. I think that's that that's the thing that I'm most proud of um and you know yeah put that put down the headstone here's ian gilbert he was a writer i love that when did the writing start oh childhood um just uh, that just that love of words being playful with words um right from i don't know i can remember writing this weird uh, alliterative poem about a moggy mooching down Main Street uh, when I was, I don't know, probably about seven or eight, I should think. Mm. Um, so just that, just enjoying words and playing with words. <clears throat> um, and then I, I did O-levels and A-levels in English, and then I did a French degree. So you know, break, bringing words out in other languages as well, you start, and, and seeing the link between the other languages and English and the et- etymology of the words. and mm. uh, Yeah, I think it's, it's it's the words and the impact that the words can have that uh, that – that, that do it for me with that and that you can take something out of your head and put it onto in black and white and make something happen in somebody else's head anywhere in the world I think is really clever. So what came first the educational writing or educational speaking what happened how did you get into writing educationally? It was the speaking that came first I was uh, I was a French teacher in Northampton and, mm. but I went into teaching because I wanted to work directly with young kids on thinking and learning and memory and mind mapping and philosophy for children, P for C, especially the P for C. So, so being a French teacher was just sort of a, a vehicle by which I could get into the world of education because I was determined never to be a teacher. I, that's not what I wanted to do. With <laughs> I, um, I watched a program on BBC years ago um, about philosophy for children mm. uh, and it was like, wow. And at the time I was living in Newcastle and I was working in, I can't remember, I was either in industry or advertising at the various part of my career. 
But it was at the point where it was like, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. And then it was, I saw what philosophy of children could do in transforming, and the program was called The Transformers, transforming the lives of children by just changing the way they think. And it was like, well, if ever I go into education, which I don't want to do, but if ever I be a teacher, what I'd really like to do is this philosophy stuff, because that looks really interesting. And that that idea of changing the way people think, uh, uh, changing people's lives by changing the way they think, and so to change the world, that was sort of the the mission statement, if you like, right in the early days of independent thinking. But it, And it was through through speaking, through workshops, through events, through inset, through, uh, uh, I think one of the first things I did just when I was setting up, uh, I did a think, blueprint for success, like a 50-minute taster, a fi- uh, mm-hmm. sorry, a 50-pound taster. So I emailed loads, oh, no, no, it was prior to email. I think I faxed lots of schools in the area. So I'll come along, speak to your six formers for 50, for, for, uh, 50 pounds for an hour. If you don't think it's any good, don't pay. Um, and that, that then allowed helped me create this platform where, and I was always pretty good at sort of standing in front of people. And I was a, was a bit of an actor performer. So it allowed me to stand in front of uh, six formers and talk about motivation and goal setting and creativity. Um, and then schools would say, well, we like that. Can you come and do some stuff with the, you know, what you did with the, with the students? Can you do it with the staff as well? So that mm-hmm. it sort of spiraled from there, the, the speaking. Uh, and it's a, you know, still a big part of, of what I do. Uh, I hate the nerves, but it's this big part of what I do. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, and then uh, I was, I, I did an after dinner speech in a hotel in Torquay, living the dream. Um, and there was a lady there who was, was running a bookstore from Routledge Publishers. And she heard me do my speech and she said, um, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book? And, and I sort of had, but I didn't really know what it was going to be about. But that led to uh, my first proper book, as I call it, published by Routledge Essential Motivation in the Classroom. Um, and that, I remember Jeff Barton when he was still who's uh, Jeff Barton's head of the was it ASCL. Is it Jeff Barton? Is it ASCL his union? Um, but he was head of a school in Bury St Edmunds, and he reviewed that book for the Times Ed, and it was just a really lovely review because mm. uh, I don't think anybody had been writing education books with so much humour and passion and humanity and mm-hmm. character. They're all a little bit either very academic. Or else the education books would be a little bit naff. Uh, some still are. Or else they would be a little bit. Here's a spiral bound, you know, book full of photocopable resources you can hand out during a during a mm. PSHE session or whatever it was called back then. So it, that that then led to, and that book still, you know, it's still out there, still doing the rounds. But that I think that was the first book that placed me as an educational uh, writer because schools were then buying. You know, copies for every member of this member of staff to read that book, and I still get people who, for whom that book and this book was that was, I don't know how many years ago that was now, fifteen years ago, twenty years mm-hmm. ago. That book still registers with people, and there's still ideas come around. I'm thinking, well, I talked about that in my book, but um, <laughs> things go things go round and round. But it's the way it is. But yeah, that that's where it started really with with just you go somewhere, you talk, you you put something out into the universe, and somebody's there, and they say. Would you like to? And you say yes, and then things lead from there. And that's very much what happened between you and I, because you, I remember interviewing you for Teach Hug Radio. Yeah. And at the end of the interview, you said, do you think there's a Tiny Boys Talks book? And yeah. actually, I remember going, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And then, and not actually, I remember I had to fill in an author questionnaire and you did say that I basically threw everything, including the kitchen sink into it because I I genuinely didn't know 
what this book would look like. But your guidance actually got me to a point where we now have a really good book. It's a good book. It's a very good book. It's a really good book. But I just wonder, before we start unpicking that book, about actually, I I want to talk about the journey from your first book to our conversation, because there's a lot of experience there that got, got you to really helping me. So talk to me about Independent Thinking Press and how you set that up. So I, I had had a relationship with Crown House uh, just down the road from where I am today in, in Wales, just outside Carmarthen, mm. um, for, well, for 25 years, which is why at the moment we've got a uh, 25% off all the Independent Thinking Press books if you use the code ITL25 at the Independent Thinking Press website. Um, so we're celebrating 25 years of having a relationship. And it started off with, mm. because I used to mention in my talks to teachers a variety of education books that they might not have come across. And I, I approached Crown and said, you know, ever the entrepreneur, I said, um, I, I mention all these books. If you pay for a, a, a you know, a little, a little handout with, with all these books on, um, that I can hand out and then they buy the books from you and uh, everybody wins. So that was the starting point. And then I ended up for various reasons because with independent thinking, I didn't, I don't, I don't want to employ people. I don't want a big company. I want to keep it, keep it light, keep it agile, as they say. Um, so I approached crown and said, you know, would you, I need, you know, back, back office support, but I, uh, would you be prepared to be, you know, employ somebody be my back, but you, you employ them and I'll just contract that person from you. So for many years, up until the pandemic, you know, we, we had an ITL office down there within the crown house buildings, um, which allowed yeah. us to build on this sort of symbiotic relationship because they know that, that speakers sell books. If you've, if you've, if you're speaking at an event and the books are for sale afterwards, assuming it's gone well, people come out and say, mm. and they want to buy the book. But I know as well that, that, um, uh, speakers get booked because of their books. You know, you don't make a lot of money from the books. Um, you'll find this soon when you get your royalties, Toria. Um, <laughs> but for me, for independent thinking, what I wanted to do was it, it allows me to say the people that we're working with are the are the source of the ideas. They're not just derivative. They're not just copying other people's ideas. They are. They've written these books. These are good books. These are professional books. Um, so it, it, it sort of leads to more bookings. It leads to uh, uh, sort of uh, us being seen as a as a premium product, if you like, because of producing these good books, and and, and that's nothing to do with self publishing. These are still rigorous books that have to go through the process, and you know, there's no we don't we don't publish any rubbish. Some people might might disagree, depending on how depending which side of the educational divide you are, but um, these are all you know quality books that that do make a difference to people's lives and that, that keep on selling. So so they moving from sort of selling other people's books then writing my book and then it was crown was saying well do you want to we we can set up an imprint what's called an imprint of uh crown house called independent thinking press so so it's got its own you know it's got its own logo its own, own series of isbns its own website but it is just sort of fully owned by by crown house and they license from me the or from independent thinking you know the name the logo and the brand and mm. but they also then they you know they bring me in to uh Find the new authors, find the new books, and then then uh, midwife them through the process to where they are published. And that midwifery process can be anywhere between you know, very light touch to uh, a lot more sort of coaching and tutoring to ghostwriting. At times, I'm you know, I'm really proud of the fact that, that there are books out there that that I've written that people, but but they belong to other people, um, and my process gets forgotten, and, and it's just these are their books, and that's lovely. I, that's a real it's a gift 
if I can say so to myself, to be able to do that, but it's also an honour to be able to do that for people. Mm. So, um, yeah, so so this uh, that then that process of finding the authors, finding the books, and and sometimes the books are from independent thinking associates themselves. Uh, and you know, we're a very sort of fluid, porous organisation. Associates come and go. Um, but also they're from people who aren't associates, people I meet who are just are interesting. And I think, well, that, that, that there's, there's something there. So I find myself whenever I meet new people in the world of education, which is an ongoing thing, I'm always sort of thinking, where's, where's the book in them? Where's the book in them? And, and often that it's a starting point. We can have a conversation because maybe they're interested in being an associate and that might be not the right thing at the moment. But, but then sometimes I think, oh, well, there's a possibility there for a book. And then sometimes it goes from there to, um, Oh, there's a title just come into my head for a book, and then I sort of put that to them, and, and we sort of see see where we go from there. So that that just being curious about people's stories and what they have to offer, and a, a book needs to scratch an itch. So you know, what is the itch that their knowledge scratches that can be turned into book form uh, and put out there mm. to make education better at what it does, which is ultimately what independent thinking is about. We're trying to make education help education do the job of making the world better that's that's ultimately what it's about so so yeah it's where's where's the book in you so i'm always i'm always alert to um when i'm meeting new people to thinking where's where is that book what can we dig out here hence the conversation with you at the end of the uh, our chat for teacher Hug radio that was okay is there a book there and your response yes is great okay let's let's make it happen it's easy what could go wrong well it's interesting actually because i remember i was starting off brand new. And I love the way you talk about the midwifery process. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, when I look back, I did need a lot of support in certain areas because I was completely wet behind the ears when it came to actually knowing how to yeah. put a book together. You may well remember my first attempt at putting sending the book through to you. And I think it contained, I mean, oh, yeah. it, it was similar to the Encyclopedia Britannica. It was huge. Hmm. Um, there were just so many voices in there because I, I didn't quite know what to do. I thought, oh, I just need to send everyone's voice off that sent them to me. But I think mm. you and I were both surprised at how many people had put forward their their voices. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was testimony to to the little network or the, the big network of little voices, tiny voices that you've got that so many people wanted to be part of it. The mm. the challenge for us, because it's Nice niceness is important. Independent thinking associates are nice. I try to be nice. You're very nice. The people that you're working with are nice. So, so you don't want to upset anybody, but you're also producing a commercially viable product that people will buy. So, niceness is part of it, but also you, there needs to be the ruthlessness of saying, actually, that's nobody's going to read that. That's of no value to anybody. It's a, important to you. So, so often people, um, so many of the books that I've edited. They start our first chapter. It's all about them, and it's like I don't care. Cut that and get straight to the get straight to the point. I'm sure it's really interesting to you, but people, unless you're some sort of celebrity, people don't really really read about you. So my my role can be yeah, there's a bit of good cop bad cop. <laughs> you know, when when mm. a, when an author, especially of a, of a multiple contributor book like this one or some of the other ones like the working class book or the new one that's coming out soon, Square Peg book, which is about fifty different contributors. Um, it's like, well, Ian, you know, Ian's the one who's saying you, this can't go in, or Ian's the one who's saying this has to change. So I, I'm happy to take the rap on that because then I can turn around and say, oh well, Crown wouldn't have, wouldn't wouldn't like that. Crown wouldn't wouldn't publish that. So there's there's a string of people we can blame if anybody feels a little bit hurt that their their voice didn't didn't get in. But I think the 
the the midwifery bit is this is one of the things that makes independent thinking press unique is that i am not aware of any other publisher that has has a me to midwife the books out of people and i say midwife because as you know you get to the point right at the very end we just and just get this thing out just 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 get it because you're going backwards mm. and forwards dotting all the i's and crossing the t's and and it's just like oh, we're not published i know one of the um authors who shall rename, remain nameless he like sent off his first draft and then was on Twitter saying, yeah, I've got the book away. You know, like, well, when's it coming out? Oh, it'll be soon. And it, it, probably another year, <laughs> I think, before it hit the shelves because it was just the first draft. So I do try and warn people now, you know, it, it, it is a, it is a process and you will be screaming at the end to get this thing out. And, but, but uh, my job is to, is to help with that process and, and use my experience. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not trained in any of this. I just sort of, Done, done quite a bit and it seems to go okay so but uh, yeah my I, I i help just shepherd it in well, midwife it in such a such a way that it it turns into a book as quickly as possible and as painlessly as possible because a lot of it is just they're just blogs people just put their blogs out and think oh that well can i just you know i've got a load of good blogs can i just sort of cobble them together into a book but a a, a blog is just for you to just say whatever you want to say. There's no editing. Yeah. There's no. There's no limit. You just and and you you assume people will read it. I, if a, a blog's longer than a, I know, a, a screen, I don't bother. Uh, and a lot of blogs I read when I do skim through them, it's like, oh, really? That just should have. This could have been half as long. I'm wasting my time. So, but a blog is you can do that. A, a book, you, you, a book, you're trying to change things. A blog, you can just yeah. get stuff off your chest, off your chest. But a book is there to make a difference, is there to change things. So it needs to have that precision in the language, in the words, in the structure that will allow people to use it as a tool for change. And I think something that I learned from you, and and actually David and Daniel in, in one of our very first meetings together, was that I really need to come back the whole time to what was my why? Why was I doing this? And what did I want people to take away from it? What did I want the reader to take away from it? And it came down the whole time for me about I really wanted it to impact on the young people in our classrooms. Yeah. And that was absolutely vital because, as you say, we write blogs just to get things off our chest. But actually, it's about, you know, I wanted this book to really impact on the young people in our classrooms and for the educators that read it to have a takeaway, to actually have stuff to take away. And I think that's what we created eventually. I'm incredibly proud of the book that we've created, but you really made me think about what I wanted. Yeah. You, you, again, you write a blog for yourself. You write a book for others. Yeah. And 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 I see when people say, "Oh, I've written this book," or "Here's a draft," and they've just got themselves in mind. And and you've got to have to bear your reader in mind. And what I what I say to people is that just take take a somebody that you know who you if say you're writing a book for school leaders, take a school leader that you know, or at least create a composite of some real people and turn them into a single person. And write that book as if you're in conversation with them, as if you're telling them things. So the more, and this is something I picked up from, um, uh, I used to do a little bit of PR work at a local council and work with a, uh, the local paper in uh, in Market Harbour in Leicestershire. And I remember the editor of the of the paper saying, you know, you've, you've got to think about your Auntie Betty. You know, he would write, he would make sure that the articles that had been written in this local rag had Auntie Betty as the audience so that even Auntie Betty could, not even, but you know, Auntie Betty could get something from this, would want to read it, would understand it, would, would enjoy reading it. So it's this, having this, uh, this 
particular person in your head, even if it's a composite, to write for? How are you? How is what I'm saying going to engage them? Because that's another thing. People write, oh, I just need to. It's just about the ideas, and just I'll tell them what to do. But it's a reading is a needs to be an enjoyable process. So you then start tapping into elements of of, of creative writing, of, of novel writing, of, of of things like throwing forward, where you drop things in and then you sort of come back to it later, or um, you know playing with the language, or having a piece that begins and ends in the same place. There's lots of literary um, techniques that, that that you can throw in to make it an enjoyable process for this single person that you've got, and then at the heart of it. What do you want the book to do? What is the itch you want it to scratch? And like you said, for you, it's, it's okay, let's, and this is ultimately the heart of all education books really, is um, uh, you know, how will the person who's read this change their practice in such a way that life in the classroom is better for the children and the young people in their care? You, you sort of trace it all the way back to that uh, rather than, and we well, don't write books on, you know, how to, how to, uh, we did do the perfect Ofsted lesson, Jackie Beers. That, that went really well. So I suppose there was an element of doing it for Ofsted, but actually that was a Trojan horse to actually say it's just good teaching and learning. Ofsted will like it, but it's actually just this was in the old days before Ofsted was so prescriptive. Um, um, but yeah, it's not about you know get better grades, do these things, and independent thinking. Uh, by the as, as the name suggests, it, we're not selling a a system, a process, uh, seven steps, seven easy steps, and do this. It, it, I remember one of my books called Independent Thinking, which is probably the one I'm most proud of. I think, uh, you know, the sort of the, in the blurb for it, it was, you know, these are my thoughts, get your own. We just, we want to stimulate thought and thinking as well as, you know, change practice, but it's not prescriptive. Um, and also there's another angle to it, especially with your book, Toria, which is you, you, by giving people a voice in the way that you have through your platform, we're, in, and this is why we say that two things happen when tiny voices talk. So one is they share their practice. The other thing is they say mm. they, they're modeling to others, other tiny voices. You've got a voice. You can use your voice. You can speak up. It might not be a book. It might not be a podcast, but you can. It might, it might be in an assembly. It might be in a meeting. It might be in a, um, wherever, where in the, in the classroom, but you've got this voice and you can use it. So we're modeling that, that, that what you've got to say is valid and important and, and, and you're okay. So there's that angle to it as well, which is really um, inspiring and empowering and is a really important part of, of why I wanted to be part of this book because of what you do. And independent thinking is, has always been a platform to try and make change happen. Um, and I love the idea of giving people voices who wouldn't normally have a voice. That's so important to what I do. And, and you, this is exactly what you do as well. So that for the two of us to come together, with our combined platforms to give voices to people is just, I'm just so proud of that. And, and thank you for, uh, you know, letting me be part of that for you. Well, I'm so grateful that that happening, which was April, 2021, because I was thinking about how long we've been working together. So April, 2021, wow. I think was the original conversation. Wow. And yeah, it has, to, I, I was naive when I sent off my first draft and did think that was it. Um, and that was August 2021. Uh, and it's it's taken, it has taken time. But actually, what I loved in that first conversation was that I sort of knew that you'd guide me the right way. I'd spoken to lots and lots of people prior to speaking to you about a Tiny Voice Talks book. Lots of people had said, oh, you're going to write, you know, you're going to put a book together, you're going to put a book together. And I I knew I wanted to, but I didn't know how. 
but I knew I wanted it to be a really good book. And I knew I needed an expert to guide me, if that makes sense. And then Mm. you appeared and it was like, (laughs) aha, there's, there's my expert. He'll do. And, (laughs) and actually what I'm so grateful for is that expert guidance has created a book that I do believe will stimulate thought and thinking, you know, and it's, there are so many different voices in there, as you know, early years to further education. The topics we cover are just insane. Mm-hmm. We go from trauma and from thinking to schematas in maths to period education to, um, lots of um many chapters on diversity inclusion send i mean there's so much in there isn't there it's yeah it's i love the breadth of it but there's a narrowing in education if we're not careful uh, mm. okay well i need to do something in order to improve our grades or to improve ofsted or to improve behavior let's say they tend to be the three things we we need to focus on but education is so much more than that and there's so much more going yeah. on so to actually have that breadth of experience in the book and again a experience people with experience with something to say with with who are doing great things or doing innovative things but don't normally get heard so to bring that all together in this book and it's not it's not a huge book it's not like you know the working class with which is a big thick tone and the square pegs would be even even bigger it's a it's still a good easy read this book um mm. but it, it it has that breadth that there's something there for everybody and you might not be the person in charge of send but the insights in the book will mean that you your approach to send will change and your approach to the person who is in charge of send will change. And that'll be the same for every aspect of the book, even though it's not your, your directly your area. I know some of the people that reviewed it pre-publication said, you know, some of the chapters weren't necessarily relevant to the field of education they're working in, but they found it fascinating to read about them. And actually that really helped them to develop their understanding of education, which I thought was great because, yeah, if you're someone working in, say, further education, not every chapter might be relevant to further education, but every chapter is relevant. We're all in the same big education boat together. We're yeah. different, different cabins or different roles or whatever you, whatever analogy you want to have, but it's all the same thing. The children are children. We're, we're working with them. We, they, children see the totality of the education system in a way that we don't because we just see that at secondary or, or FE or FE or primary or whatever. But the more we can sort of just join up the thinking and just see what other people are up to and how it works, the children will will benefit from that. It's, it's like you know, with transition, the more the secondary knows what the primary is doing and vice versa, the, the more the child will benefit. But if we just stay in our own little little cabins on this big educational ship, um, we, we, we might have a great cabin, um, but we're missing the opportunity to see the bigger picture. Um, you talked about the reviews. So just to, let me just turn the tables. Tell me how you felt when Crown said, right, we're sending these your, your book, Toria. We're sending your book off for review. How did that feel? Oh, terrifying. As you know, most most steps along the way have been terrifying for me, which has been funny. I, I didn't realise how nervous I would be. And it's because it mattered so much. Mm. It mattered to me. In a sense, I'd given a platform to these voices to be heard and the voices mattered. I really felt that they should be heard and valued. And I was worried that they wouldn't be heard and valued in the way that I wanted them to. And when we received the reviews back, 
I thought, yes, yes, people have heard and they've understood and they've got the message. And actually, it's funny because it really does matter to me that people listen to the voices within, read the voices within, hear their message and actually understand what these people are saying. It matters deeply to me, Ian. And I think that's I think that's where the anxieties come from the whole time. The fact that I want to really do a good job of making sure these voices are heard properly, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, definitely. You, you get the impression some education books are just chucked out there because, okay, somebody's got 50,000 followers on Twitter. So there's some guaranteed sales there. So we'll just churn this stuff out, um, make a lot of sales in the first six months, and then we'll move on to the next thing, which is not how we do things. Uh, not, it's not how Crown House works, mm. how independent thinking works. So, that's, And that's one of the reasons I think why well, it does take longer because everybody from the author to uh, the editor, me to the whole team at Crown House, we want to get the best possible book. It's in everybody's interest to get the mm. best possible book. And that takes a little bit longer then it'll take a little bit longer. That's that's okay. It's it's uh, it's one of the benefits of dealing with a with a sort of a family oriented Welsh company. Everything's a little bit sort of yeah, it's okay. We'll do you know we'll get there. We'll, it'll be all right. We'll 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 get to it. So very professional, very focused, but not stressed out by trying to get everything hitting the deadline and um uh and 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 just making you know bag loads of money. And it's it's what's we will do what we need to do to get the best possible book out. Uh, and it'll be uh, books know when they when they're ready to be written as well. So you know the books know when they're ready to be read. You can you might have had this. You, there might be a book on your shelf for years, and suddenly you pick it up, and that was exactly the right time to be reading the book. Yeah. But they also know when they're ready to be written as well. And uh, there were some books that were supposed to have been written before the pandemic, but uh, have been better books because it got delayed people missed deadlines and it doesn't matter um and then the book came out at just its right time and if it had come out when it was supposed to have come out it we would have it, it would have been a very shallow book or very a book with a very um poor shelf life because other things have moved on so everything it, it takes its time a book but it knows when it's ready to come out and 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 i see that with this book um that it's and i see from the reviews it's back to them they're so fantastic i i I never look too much at the reviews. Um, I've learned from my time in advertising that a review is a mirror. Um, if whatever you think about something, whether it's a, an advert or a book or whatever, a film, it's more a reflection of you than it is of what's been produced. So my, uh, I, you know, I don't look at Amazon reviews or any of that sort of stuff. Um, apart from which human nature is such that, I'm, you know, you might get, 99 good reviews and one bad one and it's the bad one that you beat yourself up about so yeah um so yeah that's 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 the way it is and you will get you know bad reviews because the review is a mirror somebody uh they might not like you i remember howell roberts one of our associates you know he was uh, crown put one of his books up on amazon that he hadn't yet written which is what you do you sort of try and get some pre-orders and somebody went in and piled in and gave it a really bad review even though it hadn't been written yet so you, you know, you know, there are games afoot in all of this sort mm. of thing. So, um, but what I was, I was really pleased for you, Tori, is the the reviews that came through from the likes of Dame Alison Peacock. That they, mm. people got it. I think that was not. This is a good book. You know, everybody should buy this book. The, the normal sort of standard stuff. This book should be in everybody's bookshelf. Blah blah blah. It, which, which I mean, I've written stuff like that because you don't actually read the book. You just sort of skim it and write something that the publisher wants to hear. Um, but mm. I know from from the, the 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 relationship that you have with these people and the credibility that you have 
that the people who reviewed the book read the book and they yeah. got the book. And that that's what I was going to say. That's what's most important is they, they didn't just say, this is a nice book, this is a good book. They they could really, you could see that they had understood what was behind the book and how important the, the giving the voice to the tiny voices is as part of what's in the book. It's not just a book of tips and techniques. There's something far more fundamental, far more important. And that's what they got. And that's why I was so pleased to see those reviews for you. Yeah, I felt so pleased that they had understood that actually all too often we hear from the big, loud voices. And these aren't, and these are fundamentally not well-known people within the educational sphere, yet every single one of them had a powerful thing to say, and that was what was heard. And I was that I was so pleased that people got that in the, in the reviews. I really was. And as you say, Dame Alison Peacock, Dr. Pi Corbett, Simon Kidwell, there were so many fabulous people that read the book and, and got what I wanted them to get. I was so pleased about that. And actually, my, my hope is that people will take away the many, many takeaways from the book. My hope is that they it will really impact on children in the classroom. But my other hope is that people will start using their voice and it won't yeah. we won't have an educational arena that is crowded out by the loud voices and people going, Oh yeah, no, we need to do that because so and so says. But instead people actually challenging and going, but why? Is this the best thing for my school? Is it the best thing for, you know, my children? Is it the best thing for my classroom? What is it I want to do? Education has become so, in England, has become so I don't know, sort of dictatorial. You know, this is how you teach. Mm. Thou, thou must do it this way. And uh, I mean, the recent um, uh, furore around Ofsted's supposedly internal documents you know this is what you need to look for if you're an inspector in the English lesson in the history lesson which is purely a way of saying this is the sort of teaching that we want in this lesson um so it's this and then you get these loud voices uh, egos and voices going together that are saying you must do it like this and if you don't we'll we'll publicly humiliate you on twitter or or wherever is it's just it's it's awful Uh, and it's taken a lot of the fun out of uh, education or can do so what I what I use my platform for in, through independent thinking is is really just to say there's another way. That's what we come back to. We're not yeah. going to get into arguments with people. Let, you know, if you if you want to teach that way, teach that way. If you think that's the right thing for children, but all we're saying is for every school that's doing it that way, here's another school, and it not doing it that way. It's doing it a different way, and look, it's doing really well. So coming back to this idea that there there, there is always another way is is uh, is just a really important part of what what we're trying to do it's like with um behavior so there as we all know there are you know loud strong voices saying behavior mm-hmm. is this is how it needs to be done and and in certain places that may well be the case but not every case not every place so i'm really pleased that uh, the, the the strategy that i've had through independent thinking and independent press is just to support people with different voices around behavior and the fact that um our top four selling books for the first half of this year, uh, based on the on the data when it comes through, were so the, both of Paul Dix's books, When the Adults Change and After the Adults Change, which is painting a very different picture of how behaviour can be done in schools. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Kindness Principle by Dave Whittaker, who's, you know, his work yeah. in very challenging special schools and proves around, well, started off around Barnsley and now around the north and the east, um, saying kindness is actually the harder option 
but it works. That, you know, people are just loving that book and, and bringing us up saying, can Dave come and speak to us? Cause we, we, we just mm-hmm. want to hear this message. And then Mark Finnis's independent thinking on restorative practice, which is, yeah. you know, schools are buying that by, in, in, by box loads <laughs> to sending it. Cause it, I mean, it's only a tenner or something, I think, but it's just so much practice in there, which is about uh, a bit like, or, or, you know, Paul's and Dave's relational practice about relationships but i know yeah. that there are people who say no relationships aren't at the heart of teaching and learning it's other things it's you, you know, you're being too soft but but the fact that so many schools are saying we want to put relationships relational practice kindness uh, 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 uh we want to put that at the heart of our work around behavior it might not be the the quick win it might not be as quick as kicking a kid out and putting them in a booth but we actually believe education is, needs to be doing more than just the just the quick wins. Mm. So, so the fact that we're saying there is another way, and look, here are some books about it, and people are buying those books, significantly buying those books. Then, it, I just find that reassuring, and I can give myself a little bit of a smug smile, thinking, yeah, schools schools want this stuff. They don't have to have the other way. All three of those books are absolutely that they're, they're all on my bookshelf. I've read them. I love them. They are phenomenal. And actually, I would say that you know my behaviour management I hate that phrase behavior management mm. but it's based on that because I do it's funny I was talking to um an ECT about behavior and they said oh you know how do you get children to behave and I said to them it's really simple you just let them know you care and you're really kind <laughs> I said, you, but the boundaries that you put in come from kindness and they were like oh and it, but it works every single yeah. time. If children know that you are fully invested in them and you deeply care and that actually you want the very best for them, they will move heaven and earth to do whatever you want. I've, I've said for many years to teachers, and my first book, The Essential Motivation, I mentioned earlier, one of the keys for motiv- seven keys for motivated learners, and one of them was relationships. And I, I suggest the only thing I really learned from my PGCE was that teaching is about, uh, it's about relationships. So get the relationships right and children will jump through yeah. hoops for you. If you get them wrong, you go through their hoops of flame in the classroom. So focus, you know, invest, spend time on that. And there's nothing, and I know people, there are people who disagree with that, but there's nothing I've seen either in my own practice or in the practice of others or in the in, in the books of, of the people that we've mentioned that contradicts this idea that relationships are, are at the heart of it. But it's interesting, the kindness thing. Um, David... Uh, uh, had done an article about uh, for the Guardian about battering them with kindness, Dave Whitaker, and how important mm. kindness was in his school. And he got all sorts of rubbish thrown at him on social yeah. media about him being soft and weak. And um, and I was we were doing a webinar with him and Vic Goddard was there, another one who's sort of powered by kindness in his school. And and they were saying that it was it was interesting that the headline in the in the national newspaper was uh, you know head teacher uses kindness. <laughs> that's the headline. That's the novelty. That's the hook, as opposed mm. to all head teachers are kind. There's no, no, nothing to see here. But yeah, head teacher is kind is a, is a national headline. So they realised the world was a little bit upside down. But things change. Everything's on a everything's everything's a um, uh, a pendulum. Things change. Things swing. Uh, we see that in the wider political world at the moment. Everything's well, swinging erratically at the moment from day to day. But things things change, and, and uh, if you stay focused on your values, and these and and this is what comes through in your work, Terry, and in the book, if you stay focused on your values, the values don't change. The, the the peripheral stuff might change, but if your values are we are kind to each other, that's yeah. that, that that will never change. You might be forced not to, but that will never change. You you stay with that, and then. 
you've the phrase I've used with teachers or for many or head teachers for many years is you know you cover your back and you sleep at night so you do what you need to do to you know keep Ofsted happy or whatever it is whoever it is you need to keep happy but you do it in such a way that you can um, you know close your eyes and sleep soundly that's that's really what we're working towards it really is and I think you know the more we can do to empower educators and empower our young people the better really we'll get there now before I let you go I have to ask the question that I ask everyone and you've had loads of time to think about it now so I'm expecting a decent answer if you could have been taught by anyone living or dead who would have been your perfect teacher so when I realized this question would be asked of me at the end I had to uh, think quickly really and think who who doesn't who would that be and then I remembered my favorite writer who's a Uruguayan journalist called Eduardo Galeano and he writes he's written all sorts of amazing books but he gives a little snapshots of life he's quite left wing uh he died not that long ago um but he gives little snapshots of life he tells the story of those who lost of the underdogs not the victors not the conquerors not the not the not the people who've taken over the countries in, for example, South mm. America, but the of the of the indigenous people. But they're little stories, they're little snapshots. You know, I think one of my favourite books is his. Is like a you know, there's a little snapshot for each day of the year, 365. These little snapshots. So it's easy to read. He also wrote the book, um, the Open Veins of of Latin America, uh, that gives a real powerful insight into the way to way in which the British opened the vein of Latin America and drained it. And then, the, sorry, the Spanish went in and drained it and the British went in and drained it and the Americans went in and drained it. Um, it, it was really insightful understanding of history mm. and life and culture, but from the victim's point of view, not that they see themselves as victims, but from the, yeah, not from, not from the winner's point of view. So that, uh, to, to be taught writing by him, to be taught, research by him because where he gets his stuff from uh, i've got no idea so we talk writing and research and to be able to connect with people and get their stories that would as a if i was wanted anybody to be my tutor my coach my support in how to be a writer uh then it would be eduardo galliano from uruguay there you go i love that and i need to look him up and find out more about his books that's the first time i have heard of him mm, that's good, good so stuff. Listeners, all the links for the Independent Thinking Press website, Crown House, etc., and of course the Tiny Voices Talk book will be on the show notes. So just click on those, um, and also linking to Ian as well. So thank you so much, Ian, for coming on Tiny Voice Talks and talking to me about Tiny Voices Talk and all that you do. My pleasure. Thank you very much and good luck with the book i look forward to when it's out there and people are buying it and waving around and tweeting about it and and using it and transforming the world with it fantastic mm-hmm.